0: Good morning watermark all right today's scripture reading is first peter three eight through nine finally all of you have unity of mind sympathy brotherly love a tender heart and a humble mind do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling but on the contrary bless for this too you were called that you may obtain a blessing this is the word of the lord Alright, check, one, two. Hello, am I on? I am. Good morning. Welcome. My name's Tommy. Um, Alright, running late. Are you ready? I'm going to hit the gas. Um, because, the, so our passage today, obviously, verses 8 and 9, it is a continuation of the things we have been talking about for about 18 or 20 verses. Um, the, the spiritual discipline of submission. And so we're going to keep going with this. I think there's some fascinating stuff in this passage. We're going to talk today about... Um, blessings and curses, not cursing, not like the four letter word cursing, but like curses, uh, you'll see. Um, and, and, and we're going to talk about how to give and receive blessings. Um, and, uh, I, I think that we need to have a conversation about that, about what to do when people are cursing you and how to respond. Um, and so I'm going to start with a word of prayer and then we're going to dive into this passage, shall we? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father. Father. We love you. Thank you for letting us gather here this morning. I ask right now that your peace would fall upon us, that we would be calm, that we would be present, that we would not be distracted, that the things of of our week, the stresses of life, the things that have kept us up, awake, the things that have um, weighed heavy upon us would be far from us right now, even if just for a little while. So that when we have to pick them up again, we maybe will have received some new instruction about how to deal with them. Maybe we'll receive some uh, some piece to the puzzle that will help us learn to dwell in your kingdom in all of our situations in our life. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this ancient letter that Peter wrote to Christians who were going through intense suffering. Thank you for preserving it for centuries and centuries and centuries, so that we could sit here and read it and study it and understand what it means for us when we fall into temptation and and suffering and trial. We love you, Father. Be with us now. Allow me to speak freely. Open our hearts and our minds and our ears. Let us listen and and contemplate the things of you. Thank you, God. In your name, amen. So we are going to start here. Finally, all of you. Uh, There has been this discussion about... Um, it started a long time ago, about 18 or 20 verses ago, when Peter said he wants us to submit in all human, In the word used is creations, human institutions, human creations. Um, when human beings come together, a quick review, when human beings come together, um, we are created in the image of God, and we tend to order ourselves, sort of in a way that our God did. We tend to form societies and hierarchies and relationships. And so now here we are with cities and countries and nations. And the problem is what we are bringing to these human institutions and these human creations in society is our sin and our oppression and the ways that we tend to take advantage of each other and let sin control us. And so... The situation the early Christians found themselves in was living under the emperor Nero in the Roman Empire, uh, an emperor who had basically burnt down Rome to build a large new space for his own entertainment and blamed it upon the Christians for causing vast homelessness and poverty. And so the people hated the Christians because they believed the bad press. And so he calls them the Christians in the dispersion. They run for their lives. They scatter to the outer edges of Rome as they run and are being chased down, and it becomes legal to kill them, and they are being killed in various ways and tortured. And so the question arises to Peter, um, what do we do? We're living under an oppressive government. And so for a few verses, he talks about the emperor. He talks about the government. He talks about the police authority and how... Um, to interact with them. He talks to them about the spiritual discipline of submission, how you really can change things through submitting and trusting God and practicing the kingdom of God and, and bringing grace and the gospel into the situation. And then the question arises, well, what about things like slavery, these human institutions which are terrible and oppressive? Um, there were some slaves in the early church. There were slaves that were leading the early church. What do they do when they leave the church and they go back home and live with, their, live with their master. How do they interact with this? It's unjust. And Peter says, well, you need to practice submission as well, and here's what it will do. It will change things. And so it did. And then there's these women living under um, this Roman system of marriage, which was patriarchal, and it was called Patria potestas. and basically the women were owned by men, and they were worse than slaves. They were... Um, they." were basically tools, objects that were owned by men, no rights of their own, living in complete oppression. And so the women in the church were equal with men, but in, the, in their own life, they were oppressed. And so what did they do? And so Peter writes to them and gives them submission. Now he changes it and he says, finally, all of you, He's going to write to the church. He's going to write to us, to the people who are there, the recipients of the letter, because he knows that in our human relationships, we do this too. We oppress each other. We take advantage of each other. We slight each other and insult each other. And so what is the church to do? How do we respond to this? He says, finally, all of you, I'm going to give you a number, a very big number, 41,000. Believe it or not, this is how many estimated denominations of Christianity exist right now. Forty one thousand. That means possibly 41,000 times Christians have looked at each other and said, well, I disagree with you and I'm out. And all these people are going with me. Forty one thousand times. It possibly means that terrible, painful church splits have happened over various issues that probably had nothing to do with Jesus. 41,000 times Christians have looked at each other and said, our differences of opinion um, have made us feel like we can no longer worship Jesus together. And they have parted ways. May I remind you, the Jesus who sat at the table with the tax collector and the prostitutes and the Pharisee and the zealots and the fishermen and loved them and taught them all. 41,000 times at least. And this is how many exist right now. I can't imagine how many have existed since the beginning. Um, and from the very beginning, the monologue on submission that has happened has never been about separation. Peter never, or Paul for that matter, never told the Christians, you're being oppressed by your government, rise up and overthrow them. He never said that, ever. They, told, they, they taught them submission in a godly, gospel-centered, grace-centered way that brings about change through love. Um, he never told the slave, you're going to go Django Unchained. You're going to rise up, you're going to kill all your masters, and you're going to go nuts um, and run away. He never told him that. Actually, at one point, Paul even sends a slave back to a master to change the situation. We read that and we're like, that's insane. The gift of grace, the gift of submission, the gift of the gospel changes those who are oppressing people when it is practiced accurately and, and seen. He never told the women, uh, you're being oppressed by your husbands, divorce them and leave them. Instead, he gave them submission. And now we know, looking back, the vast majority of men in the first and second century that came to Christ, came to Christ because of women who were members of the church, who were married to men who were not, and the women led their husbands to church. And history tells us, through the first and second century, that is how the vast majority of Christians were made. Through women ministering to their husbands. And that's staggering. And so they were right. Submission is the right way. And so now here we are in verse 8. Finally, all of you, there's some things he wants to tell them, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Um, unity of mind. He starts off there. This is not unity of mind that comes about because you have a piece of paper that you agree to. And it says, well, here's everything in great detail that we agree with about every aspect of the Christian life. And here it is. And now we have unity of mind because we all agree. That's not where the unity comes from. It's not. The unity of mind is a posture. It is what Paul describes in his letter to the church in Philippi. He says this, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind, there it is, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And so Jesus had this mindset that power was not important, that submission and humility and service of each other and love and keeping the peace and striving to meet each other's needs. That's what was important. And so the mind of Christ was this. And so the command in scriptures for unity is unity to the mind of Christ and to serve those around us having the mind of Jesus. That is the unity that we strive for. Will we disagree? Sure. Of course we will. Do you think when Jesus was sitting at that table that everyone agreed? Absolutely not. How many times do we read about the disciples arguing about the things of Jesus? And yet they still worked together to establish the kingdom of God in this world. And here we are sitting benefiting from that. Unity. And then we have some other things here. Um, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, humble mind. These are all the attributes of Jesus that he showed. Sympathy, uh, scriptures say that, that, um, we have a God who is familiar with our sufferings. When Jesus came and took on the form of us and walked this earth and felt what we felt and, and, and suffered and, was lonely at times and was, was, you know, lost friends. And I imagine got sick here and there It's fully human and fully God. It's, he knows what you're going through. He's familiar. He's sympathetic to your need. And so we should be, we get it from him and we should be. And then brotherly love. He loves us because we are family, not because of anything that we've done Uh, a tender heart, a humble mind. Jesus wept and cried. Jesus washed the feet of those around him. He rejected power and, 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 and embraced humility. And so the question rises up to Peter, just like people are oppressed in governments and in human institutions and in um, oppressive systems of patriarchy and things, uh, what about in the church? You know, what about when people don't act like this? What about when my brothers and sisters don't act like this and they treat me in a way that is vitriolic and that is is painful and that is slanderous and oppressive? What do I do? How do I respond? And that is the question he writes verse 9 for. Here's what he says. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this, you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Now, um, to be clear, when you are part of a church, if you stick around long enough, this will happen to you. People will insult you. You will feel pain. Um, relationships break down. We are sinful people. Um, People will stab you in the back. People will struggle for power with you. People will gossip about you. People will befriend you, and then they will ignore you. People will treat you as if you are less than, as if they are better than. Um, people will slight you, lie about you, attack you, hurt you, abandon you, and curse you in the church. They will. Our church has been growing a lot lately. Um, I imagine and I assume that a certain percentage of you are here because you came from another church where this happened to you. I want you to know, first off, I'm sorry that that happened. And I want you to know it may not be done. You may need to have another conversation. There may be something that you need to clear in the air. You may need to go back and have a conversation with somebody. Because these things should not separate us. 41,000 times Christians have let themselves be separated And if you read church history, many of the times that they were separated was because of accusations and slander and sin. And the goal of submission is the opposite of separation. It is sanctification. It is reconciliation. So there may be some more to be done. So the, the thing he gives us is, he says, when people treat you with evil and then when they revile you, You don't repay what they gave you. You bless them. So what is blessing? What is this? It's not, is this just when somebody sneezes and you say, bless you? No, not at all. Blessing is the projection of good into the life of another. The projection of good into their life so that they feel joy. Love, happiness, that they flourish, that they are healthy, that they are growing, that their children are fed and, and healthy, that their marriage is good, that they are, their needs are met. That is what it means to bless somebody. It's not something you do with your mouth. I mean, you do it with your mouth as well. It's something you do with your whole body, with everything you own, with your money, with your time, with your talents, your gifts. We bless people who treat us this way. You bless them. It is the opposite of cursing, which is the projection of evil into someone's life. This is the typical stance. This is the typical response. We usually act as a mirror. Whatever people hit us with, we send it right back to them. Because, of course, I am rubber and they are glue. And everything they say bounces off me and sticks to them. Um, and this is what we do. And, and, and we want it to go back. And we don't want them to just feel what we felt or, or almost what we felt. We want them to feel more than we felt. And so we hit them back just a little harder, and then they hit us back harder, and this is how it goes. There's an entire television series dedicated to revenge. We love the idea of revenge. There are wars that have been going on for thousands of years today because of this. I'm going to make them feel what I felt. I'm going to make them feel what I felt. I'm going to make them feel what I felt. And it just keeps going. And it doesn't end. And it will never end until the gospel is applied to the situation. Um, It does not. I I know there's a lot of talk about, um, you know, sweet revenge and things like this. Um, Revenge is actually not that sweet. If you talk to the people who have actually taken revenge and won, had victory over somebody who was out to destroy them, they didn't really find joy. It's not like they're there like... I'm just at peace, really. I absolutely destroyed them. I, pulled, I ruined their life. I destroyed them. And inside, I'm just so happy. I, I, I feel great. I, I'm so glad that I absolutely, utterly terrorized them. Nobody's like that. Nobody is like that. Joy comes not from making somebody... Joy in conflict will never come from making somebody feel what they made you feel. Joy and conflict will only come from making them feel what God made you feel. And instead of being a mirror, being a conduit. Receiving what God is giving, pouring it out towards them. Receiving, pouring, not reflecting back what they're giving you. That will not bring you joy. It just will not. It will not. Paul puts it like this in his letter to the Roman church. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. if possible, as far as it depends on you, so far as it depends on you, in everything that you can possibly do, is there something more that you could do to to make peace bigger, to to make more peace? Is there anything else you could do? There's always something else you can do. All of us, we are very bad at this. This is a very difficult thing to do. There is always something else you can do to make things better, and we don't do it. We don't. I have found through experience, that a soft, gentle, loving answer really does, like the proverb says, it turns away wrath. It really does. That's what I found. I tried it, and it's true. When I return love for hate, it changes the exchange of energy between us, between whoever it is. When you respond in a way that, that, with calm, loving eyes and a heart that, that just wants this to be right. It completely changes the exchange of energy. It absolutely does. But I have also found that very few Christians actually do this. Very, very few Christians, very few churches practice this. Very few churches are known to bless those who are spitting in their face. All you ever see is anger and protest and vitriol. And so with all the talk of what Christians should do, the only response we are given to any attack is blessing. Working for their good and their flourishing. That is it. There is no other response. It's not like in this situation you can actually do this. There's not. There's one response and it is blessing. That is all. It is. I've shown you like 12 verses now. It is the only response we are given. That's it. And so with all the talk of what Christians should do, what should Christians go here should they go there? Should they drink this or smoke this or bake this? Um, all of these discussions about what Christians should be doing, no one ever talks about how we should be responding with blessing, working. I want you to be happy. I want you to thrive. I want you to just smile. I want you to feel loved. I want you to feel grace. I want you to feel nothing that you deserve. I want you to feel just goodness. Of all the the things that we talk about, Christians should be doing. This is the thing we are told to do and we rarely do it. We spend all of our time on these other things. And there's all this talk of, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin. Why don't you just get rid of the whole statement and just say love, just love, 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 love. Can we just start there? Don't worry about anything. Just love. Work for their good, for their flourishing, for their blessing, for their grace. Bring it to them. Because when God looks at you, that's what he did. We were actively at war with God. And he came and blessed us and worked for our our reconnection to God and our flourishing, and we received it. And so I think one of the things we need to talk about is blessing because blessing raises a lot of questions. Um, Blessing raises a lot of very difficult-to-answer questions. You know, people always talk about the the questions that that suffering raises. You know, why is this happening? Why does this happen to me? Blessing, if you actually sit and think about it, raises just as many very similar questions. For instance... Why are we here in this room right now, well-dressed, well-fed? It's a nice space. Air conditioning works. Sometimes a little too good. Yeah, see, it's cold. Um, <laughs> it's perfect. Um Something else I thought about this morning, uh, I'm imagining, I, if I were to estimate, I would assume maybe 300 iPhones are going to pass through this room this morning. Those retail without a contractor, about $700 a piece. If you do the math, about $200,000 worth of iPhones are going to walk through this building this morning. You guys are okay. You're doing okay. Why are we here in all this opulence and wealth instead of in Syria hiding behind a stone wall with our children? Why? For some reason, God has seen fit to bring you here instead of there. Why are my children so healthy and happy when the little girl down the street is suffering with cancer at the same age? Why? 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 And and these are questions that cannot be answered. They can only be responded to. There's no answer. There's only response. For some reason... God has seen fit to pour out goodness upon your head in your, head your life. You always hear about people raising their fists in anger to God and yelling out and cursing God. And while they're doing this, they're doing it with, with the very breath that they have been given to do it, with the mind that they have been gifted with to formulate these angry questions and the blood circulating to the fist that they raise in anger towards God. It's all a gift. And we very rarely have the view of the world that we should have as Christians, which is a generous worldview. That everything we have is a gift, that we are here this morning being poured blessings upon our head, and it's all a blessing, it's all a gift. And Christians should have a generous view of the world. This is how it should be because of our blessings that are being received from our God. And so some of the questions that need to be asked of all of us. Are you happy when others receive good things? Can you celebrate with people? Are you happy for them when they are blessed? Ever since I was a kid, there's always things that I wanted to do, that I had dreams of doing. And to watch lots of other people do it, it's very difficult. Maybe you felt this. And it's difficult in life to celebrate the blessings of other people when you're not receiving it. Oftentimes we have a view of blessings as if it's a pie that we, you know, if they get more blessings, I get less. And it creates greed, anger. And blessings are not a pie. Pies are blessings. And we oftentimes have a very hard time with people receiving something that we want. And so there's a parable about this, actually, that Jesus tells, and it takes place in a vineyard. And so Jesus is talking to a group of people, and he says, okay, so let me tell you a story. There's a vineyard, and there's a worker who is running the vineyard. And he notices it's time to pick the grapes. It's in Matthew 20, if you want to read. It's it's kind of long, so I'm not going to go through the whole thing. I'm just going to paraphrase. Uh, and it's time to pick the grapes, and there's all these people out there that aren't working. And so the, the guy who owns the vineyard goes out, and he goes to the first group at like 8, 9 in the morning. Hey, will you work in my vineyard? Sure, I'll give you a denarii. Great, awesome. Come on in. They come in. They start working, picking grapes. Two hours later, he goes and finds a field of people. I need more workers. Okay, so he talks to them. Hey, will you work in my field? Sure, come on in. Hey, will you work in my field? Every two to three hours, he goes and gets a few more workers and brings them all in. Up until the very end of the day, about an hour from the end of the day, end of work, he goes and finds a few more people and brings them in to work. And then the day is over. It's time for everyone to get paid. And the owner of the vineyard says, here's the money. I want you to pay everyone. I want them all to line up. But the people who got here first are going to be at the back of the line. The people who got here last are going to be at the front of the line. And so the guys at the end are like, oh, been here all day. Can't wait to get paid. Awesome. These guys are like, oh, work's over already. Oh, huh, not even breaking a sweat. Time to get paid. Sweet. Um, and the guy starts doling out money. A denarius for you. 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 All the way down the line. And the guys at the end of the line are really mad. They're really mad. And Jesus talks to them, look, this is what we agreed to what you signed up for. Why are you mad? And basically the question Jesus is asking his people is, are you envious because I'm generous? Are you envious because I'm generous? Is that what you're upset about? That I'm generous? Do you realize how crazy that sounds? That my blessings are bringing about your sin while my suffering brought about your blessings? What is this? Why do we do this? How is this even remotely gospel-centered? It's not. And then we use words like fair. That's what they were saying. And Jesus says, are you envious because I'm generous? I can give them whatever I want to give them. I can give you whatever I want to give you. I will give everyone exactly what they need to be the person they need to be. Are you envious because I'm generous? We need to ask ourselves this question. Am I envious because God is generous with other other people? Because he blesses them. Oftentimes, yes, I am. If you're honest with yourself, yes, you are. You expect more. And so the question kind of becomes, can you celebrate the good wherever it happens? Can you celebrate the good wherever it happens? If God has showered down blessings upon you, can you be happy when blessings are showered everywhere? Because you didn't deserve it either. Can you celebrate the good wherever it happens? And even more, let's go heavier with that. Can you celebrate the good when it happens to your enemies, those that have hurt you? Let's go even farther. Can you take part in pouring out good and blessings on those who have hurt you and who are your enemies. And the farther you get into that, the more you realize how difficult it is. Can you actively take part in taking the good things in life, the good things of God, and giving them to people who have never treated you right? And now you're starting to slightly, almost understand what it's like to be Jesus. Can you do that? I think... One of the reasons it's so hard for us to celebrate the good in other people and in the world around us is because we have it, we have such a hard time receiving it. It starts with the receipt of good. Um, when you give to people, when you bestow blessings on people, you give them something. You are in control. You have there's an element of control there, and so you have this good thing, and you push it this way, or you can push it this way. You can give it to this person. You're in control. You choose. Um, so there's that. Um, when you are receiving blessings, you, there is no control. There's not. Um, and we, if you ever watch how people receive things throughout the day, when someone compliments you, you say, Oh, and I like your hat. <laughs> um, when somebody gives you something, somebody invites you over for dinner, you go to their house... You have dinner with them and they—they. you can tell they spend a lot of money. It's a great meal. And on your way out, you say, you turn and say, and next time we'll have you over to our house. Why? Because you're trying to even it up. Because it's very hard to receive free things from people. Because you have no control over it. And it's humbling. And the bigger it is, the more humbling it is. And if somebody goes and gives you, we do this on massive scales. Somebody gives you a car. A car. And you... Well, I work at Subway. Come in next time. I'll give you a free sub. (laughs) What are you doing? That is ridiculous. At some point, to say anything other than thank you is absolutely insane. At some point, to say anything other than thank you is out of line. And we have such a hard time receiving grace. And so the very spiritual people who are really wrapped up in religion will work really, really hard to live these perfect lives because they're trying to pay God in some way back. And it makes them very judgmental. And you look at the people around you and then... um, and you, you assume, well, they're not as good as me. They're not as holy as me. They're not sanctified as me. They're, they're, their works and their giving and their tithing and nothing is as good as me. Um, and then you start to realize that God is pouring out the same amount of payment and grace upon them as he is upon you. And he turns to you and says, are you are you envious because I'm generous with my grace? And so... There is a sense in which you cannot live a big and generous life if you aren't receiving with the right heart. You cannot. Until you realize the humbling experience that is grace, it will be very difficult for you to deal it out to other people because we like to send things back what people send us. And if you are to be a conduit of grace then you need to actually be receiving it or nothing is going to come out the other end. If you want to give grace, you actually have to learn how to receive it. And it's very, very difficult and it's very, very humbling to sit back and realize and say, I was an enemy of God. I wanted to destroy him, to push him out of my life. And I'm constantly keep falling back into this, into this pattern of chasing God out of my life. And he just keeps coming and pouring grace upon me and blessings. And sometimes I'm really happy and I feel really bad about that. And we just have to stop and say, thank you. There's nothing I could have done to earn this, any of this, any of the gifts that I have, anything. Thank you. And until we can learn to do this, we will not be able to learn to submit to each other. We will never be able to respond when people spit in our faces with, I hope your children are happy I hope you I hope you succeed in everything you're trying to do. I hope you find joy and peace in your life. I hope your marriage flourishes. And until we learn to receive this from God, we cannot give this to other people. And somehow, I mean, there are very few churches who have really learned to bless those who spit in our faces. And somehow we have to learn this. And it starts with the receipt of grace. And it starts with practicing the discipline of submission to each other. Receiving and not responding with what they gave us, but giving what what, what God gave us. Sometimes any response other than thank you is just completely absurd. This is why people have such a hard time with the gospel. This is why a lot of people have a really hard time coming to Jesus, because they cannot accept the fact that with everything I have done, the free gift of love and grace is offered to me. But it's true. I don't. I don't know all of your stories. I, I imagine there's some of you here today that are struggling with the idea of Jesus and grace and love, and they, somehow you've got to do something. You've got to earn something. And I want you to know you don't. I want you to know it is a posture of humility and receiving of grace, a heart that says, "I could not have done this on my own." Thank you, thank you, Jesus. And then just start to follow Him. It's not all that complicated. It's not a math equation. Jesus loves you so much that he died for he took your sin and suffering upon himself and just took it as his own. Suffered what you should have suffered. Died the way you should have died. And rose again so that you could find resurrection. And so we're going to take communion because it's the only way we can respond to this. Um, So our communion servers, you guys can go ahead and get get ready. And um, we take communion every single week. It is... um, the most important thing that you can do as a body of believers you come together every time you should take communion. Um, it's how we remember Jesus because so much of, so many of our thoughts are wrapped up in remembering people and what they've done to us. And so when we take communion, we remember Jesus. And when we remember Jesus, we forget everyone else and we forget ourselves and all we receive is grace, and then it starts pouring out. And so we're going to take communion. Um, and if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to take communion with us. If you're not a follower of Jesus, observe. Think about what we're doing. Uh, nothing mystical, nothing weird happens. It's literally, it's, it's common. Communion means it's common things. It's bread, it's wine. We take bread, we dip it in the wine. We take the gospel down inside of us, and we ask God to touch the parts of our hearts that have not been touched by the gospel. So shall we pray? Hey, we pulled it together. Way to go, guys. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for everything you were doing for us. Teach us to receive your grace. Teach us to receive your blessings. Teach us to receive them from other people in a way that that is thankful, in a way that is not diminishing of the gift. So that when it comes time for us to give and pour out, we can. Teach us somehow to become those people who, when they spit in our faces, we return absolutely nothing but love to them. Thank you for everything you were doing in our lives, in our community, and in our midst. Change us, make us holy. We love you. In your name, amen. Take some time and uh, talk to Jesus.